Welcome to Bridges Community Church. And whether you're joining us online or live in person, we would like to say thanks for joining us. And remember, it doesn't matter what you've been through in your life. It doesn't matter what you're struggling with or what you're going through right now. You are welcome here and you are in the right place. We will begin our services in just a few moments. And as we prepare to enter into a time of worship, we would just like to say we would love to connect with you. If you're new with us, head to bridges.info and let us know that you're here and we'll reach out this week and find out how we can be praying for you or how we can help get you connected to our community. Hey, coming up on July 31st, we will have our annual uh, beach worship service down at Seabright Beach near Santa Cruz. So I want you to make plans right now, uh, July 31st. Do not come to this building the morning of July 31st and instead travel to Seabright Beach near Santa Cruz. We will have music, um, a short message, and the, maybe the most important thing is time together as a church family, hanging out all afternoon, as long as you can make it into your schedule on Seabright Beach in Santa Cruz. Bring a lunch, bring a towel, bring some sunscreen, and come to Seabright Beach July 31st instead of coming here on Sunday morning. And for anyone who has not yet been baptized, one of the amazing things that we often do when we are down at Seabright Beach um, is have baptisms in the ocean. So if you have been waiting to be baptized, if you are a believer in Christ and have not been baptized since you became a believer, now's the time. We want to baptize you in the ocean down at Seabright Beach on July 31st. So make sure you get that into your schedule and we will see you there. This coming Friday, July 1st, is our next First Friday. At 6.30 in the Family Center, we will be getting together and enjoying a time of fellowship and encouragement in God's Word. First Fridays are a time for all of us to get together, regardless of our age or stage, and just enjoy being a family together. So please join us this coming Friday at 6.30 in the Family Center. We will be having some ice cream sundaes and just enjoying each other's company. See you there. Let's all stand and worship together this morning.
Well, good morning and welcome to Bridges Community Church. We are so glad that we could gather together and we can worship together in this place. We have victory in Jesus and that's what we're celebrating and that's what we're worshiping together this morning and every Sunday morning and hopefully every day of the week, every single day. So let's continue to celebrate and worship, but I also know that in the midst of the chaotic life, we're not always focused on that victory. And we got so many things going through our heads. So as we sing this next song, let's sing it as a prayer. And let's ask Jesus to center our hearts and our minds on him. Let's focus on Jesus and what he did and the way he gave us that victory. Let's sing together.
Lord Jesus, that is our prayer, that you center our lives, that you center our hearts, you center our minds and our eyes on you, our Lord, the author and perfecter of our faith. God, when all around us seems chaotic, when we are distracted by each and everything that is around us, God, center us on you. Jesus, draw us in near to you. We thank you that we have victory in you, Jesus. So bring us back to a place where we are completely and fully focused on you, looking only to you. In your name I pray, and together we lift up your name as we sing. Jesus, there is none more In your wonderful, in your beautiful and powerful name we pray, and together we say, amen. Thank you. Go ahead and have a seat, and we're going to take a moment now uh, and check out a video, an interview that Pastor Steve did uh, a little while ago with one of uh, our partners. Well, hey, Bridges family. I'm here with a new friend of mine, Kayvon Tehrani, and Kayvon is one of the pastors at Westgate Church, some of you may have met him, and we have a shared interest that he's gonna share with you some about that I think will be of great interest to you as well. So Kayvon, thanks so much for taking time today. People may not realize you have a connection to our church. Why don't you share a little bit about that here for a moment? Yeah, I actually have a very fun connection to uh, Bridges. I was actually married in your sanctuary uh, September of 2000, I married one of the Bell daughters, Dwayne and Deanna. Hey, they're my in-laws, probably sitting next to you guys. They've been faithful members there for like 150 years. Uh, I think founding members were like their, their, his parents, Dwayne's parents, Don and Juanita. So uh, our history and roots go very far back. My wife was a product of your youth ministry. So thank you for all the great work you did to wow. raise up my wife. Wow, that's amazing. And one of the reasons why you and I are talking and we connected initially is because you do a, a tremendous amount of work right now with local refugees, people who are coming into the area. And Bridges family, if you weren't aware, the month of June is Refugee Awareness Month. And June 20th has specifically been designated as a World Refugee Day. And so we wanted to have Kayvon on here to talk a bit about why why refugee work? Why is this something that's of importance to him? Why should it be important to anybody who's a Jesus follower? Those kinds of things. So, Kevin, why don't you talk about that for a moment? Yeah, this is a very personal topic for me. Uh, I was born in Iran and raised there till I was six, but there was a revolution when I was four and a war that started when I was five, the Iran-Iraq war. And my parents, who uh, were well-to-do, they had a wonderful business. Uh, we were very well set with our home and all of our things there and and uh, and we had no problems uh, staying but when the bombs began to fall my parents began to rethink our futures and freedom and school and education and how all those things would be devastated by a war so we were lucky 
Uh, we had the opportunities to get a visa and left and went to Spain for a year and eventually immigrated to the United States in 1982. So exactly 40 years ago is when I arrived at San Francisco airport with my parents. Um, and we were given an incredible opportunity to be educated in a wonderful area of, of the world with complete freedom of, of choice and religion and um, opportunities and education that we wouldn't have otherwise had had we stayed in Iran. And so my parents uh, really made an incredible choice, sacrificial choice to come here. We lost a lot of things financially to come, but my parents knew this was the right move. And we were able to get a wonderful education in high school, all the way through high school. And then eventually my three sisters and I all graduated from UC Davis. So how incredible that in one generation, all three of us are college graduates in this wonderful country and all of us are professionals in our different fields. So I'm very, uh, uh, I care deeply about uh, that refugee uh, uh, people who are refugees here because I myself came as an immigrant, um, but uh, seeing what happened in devastation, especially in Afghanistan, really hurt my heart and my wife's heart. We were praying and crying and just asking God to allow us to have some way of impacting them because we knew what they had gone through and seeing those women and children and elderly in the lines for days in the hot sun without any food or water just devastated us. People clinging on the planes. And so we, and I speak a similar language, Dari, the Afghan language, and Farsi are very sister languages. And so uh, I knew that somehow, some way, shape, or form, I would be able to transform part of my nonprofit to be able to impact refugee families. And we have been over the last five months. It's amazing. It's amazing. Can you do a little education for us and raise our awareness a bit about what the current refugee situation looks like in our world and also on a more micro level here in the Bay Area. Yeah, uh, well, just, just in Northern California, we're looking at possibly 10,000 refugees from Afghanistan alone uh, being resettled between here and Sacramento. It's an incredible number, 10,000 Afghans. Uh, that might be around uh, two to 3,000 families. That's, a, that's a, a tremendous load on the organizations that are trying to help them. And so these families are coming here, most of them, many of them with just a few dollars in their pockets. Uh, some of them were professionals, dentists, lawyers, doctors, teachers, farmers, you name it. Uh, they had education. Some of them didn't have an education and they were just working, running a bakery and just running a, a, a car dealership or something uh, else uh, that uh, didn't require a language in their context. And so they've come here with empty pockets and, and hurt and, and lost so much. And many of them have family members who are stuck in Afghanistan and they're hurting and crying for them daily. Uh, before I forget, can you share with people uh, your website if they want to look for more information? And So thank you so much. Uh, our organization is called Compassion Bridges. And we started it in 2007 with actually one of your missionaries, King Anderson and I began this organization together to support students in schools and rise up leaders within schools and support families. We've done food outreaches because of COVID over the last two years, tremendously been able to food, feed thousands of families in East San Jose who were suffering. And then when that began to taper down because COVID began to subside a little bit, we, we saw this opportunity with refugees, which is a whole new territory we've never investigated or really delved into as, a, as an organization. So yeah, thank you for your support of King Anderson back in the day. Uh, he's since gone and is with the Lord now, uh, but uh, we've been able to continue uh, in, in the footsteps that he and I began in 2007 to be able to continue this forward. A couple of weeks ago, you and I had the privilege of being a part of an event in partnership with Jewish Family Services that was on the campus of Bridges. It was a Sunday afternoon on May the 22nd, and we had a, a picnic, which for many of the refugee families who came, 
seemed like that was maybe the first time they'd ever done anything like that. And that was a lot of fun. We unfortunately weren't able to take pictures just as we're wanting to uh, be sensitive to uh, confidential information and all of that kind of stuff. But that is an example of a simple event that through people like yourself who were able to provide um, some translation, uh, having, having uh, just kind of an open hand. We had some volunteers there who were able to play soccer with some of the kids that were there. We had a bounce house. We had a food truck. We just tried to do the best that we could as volunteers and as a team, and you were part of that, to just show love in a practical way. And then talking to the staff of Jewish Family Services after the fact, they seemed like they were really encouraged by the event. I don't know where it will lead, but that's not so much to say a yay us and pat ourselves on the back or to pat you on the back as much to say that it doesn't take a grand gesture. It can be something really, really small. So if people want to follow up with you and be a part of maybe a future event or a future outreach, again, we want them to connect with Compassion Bridges. We want them to follow up with you and to, and to learn more. Uh, are there other ideas that you can think of for the person who's like, I'm just one person? Yeah. Have a, you know, like, how can I get involved? What would you say to that person? Yeah, absolutely. We we can all make a difference. You don't have to speak Farsi, Dari, like I do. Sure, it makes it a little bit easier because I speak their language. I'm able to translate. I'm able to get into their heart. Uh, but we have many Americans who don't speak a lick of Farsi or Dari, except for Salam. Uh, salam Alaikum. You guys can just learn that word. Uh, salam Alaikum just means hello. Uh, and uh, aside from that, they, they're giving rides. They're giving opportunities yeah. to take people to medical appointments. Um, they're able to um, uh, sit down with them and help write resumes. If they have a little bit of broken English, you can help them with resumes. And so if people do, are interested in coming alongside, uh, all they could do is just email me at compassionbridges at gmail.com uh, or go to the website compassionbridges.com and there's a place there you can comment and ask questions. Um, and we've, been ra we've raised actually between uh, 75 and 100 volunteers uh, right here in the South Bay Area to Fremont region. And we've been training another group of volunteers in the Sacramento region through another group I've been helping with called NorCal Refuge. And uh, we just believe that uh, God has brought them here for a reason. And uh, they're able to find freedom and joy and, and peace for the first time in their lives. And they are so thankful, even for the small event that we had there. You may have not thought it was a big deal, but for some of these families, they don't get out of their hotels or apartments very often. And so for them to come and have halal food and have games and people who just lavish love on them it is meaningful. And it's, and it's bridging the divide between the West and the East. Uh, they sometimes may feel inadequate or nervous that they won't be accepted because they wear the hijab or the veil. Mm -hmm. uh, but we tell them, hey, you come as you are. Yes. Uh, God accepts everyone for how they are and, and where they come from. And so come and just enjoy time with us. So it's a great bridging time uh, when we have these events that you guys held. And we've done a couple other events similar as well. So thank you so much for doing that, for supporting that, for praying. We ask for you to continue to pray for them. Many of them have suffered a lot, have a lot of trauma, a lot of PTSD, even trying to get out from the airport. You guys remember the bombs. You guys remember the guns. You guys remember the Taliban and what they were doing to them just to get to the airport. They were being beaten back. Uh, and when they were there, they were being uh, tortured pretty much as well. And so a lot of the kids have some trauma, but uh, the parents, especially the trauma of trying to get out, the trauma of their family members being stuck and having no food and no resources and no jobs or opportunities and them having to walk on eggshells around the Taliban. So it's not over, guys. This is uh, it may have happened in August 
of 2021, but this is going to last for many more years that we have the opportunity to speak into their lives and show God's grace and love to them. Yeah, another great opportunity. Uh, had a chance to meet Kayvon. What a what a great guy and what an incredible ministry uh, he's running. And and what a great example of a way to love your neighbor. And who is your neighbor? That's everyone around us, and and really a, a great way. So we encourage everybody to get involved. They mentioned briefly a picnic we had here on campus, and. I don't speak Farsi, but I got an opportunity to play soccer with some of the some of the young students and uh, taught a couple of uh, college age um, men from Afghanistan how to play cornhole. And so we just tossed beanbags back and forth for an hour, and it, it was great fun. So I encourage you to get involved. Talk to Pastor Steve. Talk to me, uh, and we'll get you in touch with uh, Kayvon or the events that we're doing here on campus. What a, a great way to love our neighbor. But let's continue to worship and let's uh, respond in song. Let's stand, please.
seat and as you do we'll dismiss our elementary school students to join Miss Alba in the back. stand in the way that sinners take, or sit in the company of mockers, but whose delight is in the law of the Lord, and who meditates on his law day and night. That person is like a tree planted by streams of water, which yields its fruit in season, and whose leaf does not wither. Whatever they do prospers. Not so the wicked. They are like chaff that the wind blows away. Therefore, the wicked will not stand in the judgment, nor sinners in the assembly of the righteous. For the Lord watches over the way of the righteous, but the way of the wicked leads to destruction. Morning, everyone. Glad to be with you all. If you're keeping track of the calendar during this summer, I don't know if you do. We're about a week away from the 4th of July. It's hard to believe, isn't it? Just uh, coming up on, if my math is correct, the 246th anniversary of the signing of the U.S. Declaration of Independence. I actually saw uh, on the eighth grade trips that my kids went on when they were in middle school, I got to go to the East Coast, I actually saw the actual Declaration of Independence at the National Archives building. They told me it was the real thing. I'm not sure because I've seen the National Treasure movies and I think <laughs> Nicolas Cage I understand, took off with them. So that was either before or after I was there. But it's really remarkable. There is a clause or a phrase in the Declaration of Independence that I think ties into today's psalm. 
And it's one of the most unique aspects of our nation's history. It's in the Declaration of Independence, it says in the preamble that all men are created equal and they are endowed with, by their creator with certain unalienable rights that among these are life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. So you and I have the right, according to this document, to pursue happiness. And that's a really kind of a unique way that that's worded. It's saying, you and I, if something will make you happy or you think it will make you happy, go for it. Go after that. You may not find that happiness, but you can chase after it, assuming that it doesn't violate other laws or infringe upon other people's pursuit of life, liberty, and happiness for themselves. Now, most people, I think, we could agree, want happiness. If you ask them, if you ask the person that you just meet, what do you want most in life? I think most people, if they were to be honest, say, I want to be happy. What do you want for your kids? What do you want for your grandkids? I want them to be happy. We all want that. And everybody has a picture of what would get us there, right? If only, if only, if only I had, if only I drove, if only I could, if only I wore, if only I did, if only, if only, if only, and we sort of fill in the blanks, maybe I would fill in you know, better about myself if I could be happy and if I could have those things. And so we spend a lot of time and money going after those things, trying to figure that out. A lot of times people look to religion, someone like the Buddha or the Dalai Lama, or they walk down the street to the nearest mindfulness studio looking for happiness. Maybe for you it's a vacation, it's quality time with family or friends, all kinds of things, whatever it is. We're always searching for happiness, aren't we? We're pursuing it. And ever since the age of enlightenment, there's been this prevailing sense in the culture, I think, that people thought that we can discover happiness or find happiness if we use the primary tools of human reason and empirical investigation and technology and industrialization and progress to solve all of the problems and mysteries of life. And that sounds good. And we certainly do have more knowledge now than we've ever had at any point in human history. But have we really completely eliminated or solved all of the problems and mysteries of life? Are we really happier now today in 2022 than our ancestors were? Or are we just still pursuing and searching after happiness? Don't get me wrong, industrialization and progress and technology, they have made the world more comfortable and in many cases safer on the whole than it was in the past. But the Bible has always said that what makes you and what makes me happy or unhappy, the issues that make us happy or unhappy are profoundly spiritual and they've been unchanged for millennia. So what does the Bible tell us about our search for happiness? Are you a fundamentally and consistently happy person? And if not, why not? So that brings us to the book of Psalms where we started a new sermon series last week that will carry us through the rest of the summer we're not looking at all 150 Psalms and all God's people said, amen. But we're looking though at some of the primary categories of Psalms and we're picking out some of the highlighted Psalms that fit into these categories. And this week we'll take a closer look at Psalm 1 that Laura just read for us. And you could arguably call that the happiness Psalm, the happiness Psalm, because that's the very first word of the very first Psalm in the book of Psalms, happy. Your translation of the Bible, depending upon what you have, might say blessed, but the Hebrew word for blessed literally means happy. 
literally means joyful, fulfilled, satisfied, happy. And we'll come back to that theme in a moment. But I want to quickly point out that Psalm 1 is the first of several psalms that have been put into a category that over time have come to be known as the wisdom psalms. Psalm 1 is a wisdom psalm. Some of the best loved psalms that you might know a phrase from are possibly wisdom psalms like Psalm 19 or Psalm 37 or Psalm 90 or Psalm 119, you know, the long psalm. Those are all wisdom psalms. Each of these wisdom psalms are attempting to do something. They're attempting to teach you and me the value of cultivating a long-term mindset, fixing our hearts and minds on what is stable and what is long-lasting and ultimate and most valuable rather than just chasing after the the latest thing. That's going to maybe give us some short-term gain. These things are meant to be very practical, the wisdom psalms are, and they usually contrast two ways of life, the way of the wise and the way of the fool. You know, thinking about wisdom, we should never stop being in awe of the fact that we're able today to look up anything that we want and get facts instantly. But the real question for all of us is not what do you know, but what do you do with what you know? Now, what do you know, but do you have the wisdom to apply the knowledge that you have in your daily living. Doesn't matter how much accumulated learning you have, how many degrees you have, how much knowledge you have, if you don't have the wisdom to know how to apply it. So the wisdom Psalms, like Psalm 1, are dealing with the way that the world works, the way the world really works. And they do so by repeatedly taking us back to the beginning of the biblical story and continuously recognizing God as the fountainhead of all wisdom from the very, very beginning. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth, and he said it was good. He created man and woman, put them in the garden, and their job was to be his image bearer, to carry on his creative force and to rule the world on God's behalf. So there's all this wisdom and there's all this creative potential, but there was still something missing. In order for people to rule the world well, As God's partners, we need wisdom to discern good from evil. But the question is how? How are we going to get that wisdom? And so the humans are faced with a choice, right? You either take from the tree of knowing good and evil, which God told them not to take from, or we can trust God's command and live by his wisdom. And the decision, that decision, if you think about it, is the core decision that is facing us multiple times every day, even today. And so each of the wisdom psalms, in a way, if you think about it, are exploring from a different perspective what it means to be a human being who is sitting in front of the tree of knowing good and evil and and asking, how do I navigate good and evil in a way that leads to life and to happiness and not to death and not to exile and not to a calamity of my own doing? So the fact that Psalm 1 comes first in the book of Psalms, I think, is significant because it just sets the tone for everything else. And it reinforces for us, and I don't want you to miss this, there is a definite connection between wisdom and happiness in the scriptures. There's a definite connection between being wise and being happy. If you want to get genuine, lasting happiness, you don't get there through foolishness. You don't get there through mere intelligence and accumulating of knowledge. Instead, as Proverbs says, blessed or happy are those who find wisdom and those who gain understanding. So, We're going to get into Psalm 1 today, and it's only six verses. And I think, you know, sometimes we think we can't memorize Scripture. This would be a great one to at least memorize the first couple of verses. 
and to work at it and to keep working at it and to chew on it. We'll get on into that in a moment. But this is a succinct description of a person who is truly happy, the man who is truly happy, the woman who is truly happy, the child who is truly happy, the student who is truly happy. And the first thing that we see here in Psalm 1 is that the happy person is described by what he or she declines. That's the first point, by what he or she declines, by what he or she says no to. Blessed or happy is the one who does not walk in step with the wicked or stand in the way that sinners take or sit in the company of mockers. This person's defined by what he or she doesn't do. And we're like, okay, well, we're starting with some no's. That's no way to start a psalm about happiness and about wisdom. It's too negative, but that's where wisdom comes in, right? It's where wisdom comes in. Because we know from experience and from insight that sometimes there's a lot of power in saying no. In other words, happy is the person who understands and gets that sometimes saying no is often the wisest and most necessary place to start. Just ask an athlete, right, who has to say no to doing certain things in order to pursue a certain type of lifestyle and to restrict their intake instead of say, getting a cheesecake from the Cheesecake Factory at 10 p.m. and sitting in front of it and going, all right, here we are again. Or some of you, I imagine many of you have gotten where you are in your career, as a student, your studies, by learning to say no to certain things as well. We understand that. So we understand this principle. You very often have to start with a negative and deal with that before you can move on to the positive. You have to first take off the old before you can put on the new. So what does the happy person then have to learn to say no to? Verse 1 tells us they have to learn to say no to bad advice and to bad associations, to bad alliances. There's two quick ways to disaster. Here's some wisdom for you. Two quick ways to disaster. First, it's disastrous to take nobody's advice. Second, it's disastrous to take everyone's advice. It's not a healthy place to be, to just ignore the wisdom of others, and it's not a wise or healthy or safe place to be to just process each and every decision through the filter of, I wonder what other people will think. So as you go through every day, someone is starting to tell us, be prudent. There's thousands of voices out there that are vying for our attention, and everyone has a plan for your life. And it's not always the best opinion, even if it comes with good intentions. So be careful. This is saying who you listen to. Be careful what you listen to. There's an old proverb that says something to the effect of, he who builds according to every man's advice will end up with a crooked house. And I would add, with a crooked life as well. So this psalm is telling us happiness is not something that just magically appears and happens to you. It's not just a matter of circumstances. Happiness is something that you and I choose. And it starts with changing our allegiances. Happy is the one who does not walk in step with the wicked. Happy is the one who does not stand in the way that sinners take. Happy is the one who does not sit in the company of those who mock God. So this is addressing every aspect of our lives, our behavior, our intellect, and this idea of sitting in the company of those who mock God. In the ancient Semitic language, to sit, where you sit is where you belong so to speak. So if you want to be happy, you got to figure out, who do I belong to? What or whom do I belong to? The things that I listen to, the things that I walk in, the things that I sit in. And these three action words, the walk and the stand and the sit, they kind of seem like a progression, don't they? It's like 
There's a sense of slowing down. You're loitering. It's like this loss of happiness begins subtly by walking in and listening to the wrong voices, and then now you're standing in the company of those same folks, and then you're finally sitting. Don't miss the where it all starts. It all starts for you and me with the counsel of those who are not aligned with God's purposes. So the happy person, this is saying, the most joyful, the most fulfilled, the most satisfied person is defined and described by what he or she declines. Second, the happy person here is described by what he or she delights in. In what he or she delights. Verse two, their delight, it says, is in the law of the Lord and on his law, he meditates day and night. So that phrase, law of the Lord, might make us think, okay, that's talking about the section of Scripture where all the rules are. But the law of the Lord is not just referring to the Ten Commandments. It's not just referring to the Torah, the first five books of the Hebrew Bible. It's really talking about the whole counsel of Scripture and making that your rule of life. So to delight in something, we understand that. To delight in something is to just think about it often. You have something you delight in. I have things I delight in. It's something that has your attention and it has your affection, has your heart. For some of us, though, reading God's Word is the furthest thing from being delightful. It's painful sometimes. And that sometimes, let's admit, it can seem tedious or irrelevant or confusing unnecessary for others of us. Maybe it's painful in that it causes despair and discouragement because you read it and you're just left with even more questions that don't have answers or you're faced with coming to grips with the fact that we fall so short of God's perfect standard. Like in the Sermon on the Mount where it says, you have heard that it was said, you know, don't do this, but then Jesus takes it a full step further and you're like, I fall so short of that perfect standard. But Jesus is our example here. He delighted, it says in Hebrews 10, to do the will of God. And he meditated on the law of God so deeply, Jesus did, that it just flowed out of him, even while he was dying on the cross, almost spontaneously flowing out of him. And it says we're to meditate on the law of God day and night. This concept of Christian meditation, I think, for us is confusing because we lump it together in our minds with Eastern meditation. But they're really almost the opposite of one another. In Eastern meditation, you seek to empty your mind of all rational thought and just open yourself up to the universe wherever it takes you. Christian meditation is active thinking. It's filling your mind with the Word of God through which we then believe that God mediates His presence in our, in our lives. So Christian mediate, meditation is to fix your mind, to fix my mind on the truth of God, and then to speak to your, that truth to your heart, which is exactly the opposite of Eastern meditation. I realize Christian meditation is unfamiliar to many of us. We might go, okay, I don't know how to meditate. I don't know how to do that. But a wise person once said, if you know how to worry, then you know how to meditate. Because <laughs> when we worry, we are slowly going over and over a situation in our minds, aren't we? We're giving ourselves over to fear and anxiousness. We focus our attention on all the ramifications of whatever we're worrying about, this decision that's in front of us. We chew on the many different parts of it. We lay in bed at night. We think about it when we're in the shower. We're looking at the situation like a diamond from every possible angle. So when we meditate on God's Word, that's what we're doing. We're giving attention to the words, and we're driving those words deep into our hearts and into our minds. And you can't really do that when you're in a hurry. 
You can't really do that when you're multitasking. So you have to slow down enough to chew on it, to consider it, and to consider what it is saying so that it will be something that you keep coming back to and leaning on throughout the course of the day. And Psalm 1 is a wonderful psalm to meditate on. You can just take this and meditate on it all week long this week. Six verses. Take one verse each day of this week. And then on the seventh day, just review the whole thing. You can, you can chew on it and just come back to it and look at it in different ways and just immerse your mind in, the, in this. So this psalm is saying that you have the counsel of the wicked and then you have the law of the Lord. And either of these might affect you. And that's the contrast. One of these influences will lead one way. One of these influences will lead the other way. And if you think about it, it's really like two competing sources of pleasure. Either you find your delight in one or you define your delight in the other. Either you find your delight in the counsel of the wicked or the world, or you find your delight in the law of the Lord, such that you will find yourself meditating on it throughout the course of the day. So the happy person is described by what he or she declines, number one, and also by what he or she delights in. And number three, the truly happy and fulfilled person is described here by what he or she depicts. By what he or she depicts. Look at verse three. That person, meaning the person who does not walk in the counsel of the world and who instead delights in the law of God and meditates on a day and night, that person will be like a tree. Like a tree planted by streams of water which yields its fruit in its season and whose leaf does not wither. Whatever they do, prosper. So he or she, it's saying, will be like a tree, not a stump, not a twig, not a two by four. Rather, they are something alive and growing and flourishing. Whenever a baby is born, and I could talk about my granddaughter here who turns one in about a month, just a couple uh, weeks, she's toddling around. Whenever a baby is born or you interact with a baby over the course of time, it's normal and natural as an expectation to expect that child to grow and to develop. And when you have somebody who's been a follower of Jesus for some time, it's natural and normal to expect to see some evidence of growth. If you or I are always at the same level spiritually, we're going to be miserable, and that's a problem. There ought to be growth. So the tree that the psalmist is describing here, meaning the one that depicts the happy person, is depicting growth and progress. It depicts permanence. Picture a tree with roots going down into the soil, deriving the nutrients down into the soil, anchoring itself, becoming a per permanent fixture of the landscape. And that's kind of the same word picture that Jesus uses in John chapter 15, where Jesus says, I am the vine and you are the branches. Remain in me, because apart from him, we can do nothing as a branch just by ourselves. We're rooted into him, remain in him. It's not describing somebody who's in one day with God and out the next, back and forth, again and again and again. It's a picture of permanence. It's a picture of wise, productive, fruitful living. It's also a picture of, again, productivity. He or she, it says, yields its fruit in season. This isn't some overnight quick fix thing. This is seasonal. It takes time to grow, to become evergreen. Eventually, there is fruit. It's evidence or proof of the growth that is taking place in your life. And all of this, I think, is a beautiful picture of refreshment. Healthy fruit, it can be refreshing. Whenever I eat fruit, and I know it's not often, but I do, believe it or not, eat fruit. I don't eat a lot of vegetables, but I do eat fruit. And whenever I eat fruit, I always like it cold. I don't know why. It's just refreshing to me. Even like a cold banana or cold grapes out of the fridge or a cold pineapple. Or how about cold watermelon today? Wouldn't that be great? 
Sometimes Shannon will make a little cold parfait. It's got some berries and like some granola in there. I love that. And a happy person is saying it's like that. It's refreshing. A fruitful person, as this psalm is describing, is so refreshing to be around. You ever spend time with certain people and you come away going, I'm exhausted. <laughs> There's a place for that. Some people are burdened and we need to be willing to listen and to sit with them in that. But the point is, and you know what I'm talking about, it is incredibly refreshing to be around that person who fills your emotional tank up every time that you're around them. And they're usually the type of person described in Psalm 1. Makes me think of a picture that my friend who went to the Holy Land told me one time. I've never been to the Holy Land. I'd love to go. Some of you have probably been. And he describes my friend taking a one-day trip from the Sea of Galilee to Jerusalem. He said it takes a few hours drive by bus. And during that day, he said he was able to see the two bodies of water inland that exist in that country. First is the Sea of Galilee in the north. And around the Sea of Galilee, he says that there's farms. It's green. It's lush. It's beautiful. And then it empties into the Jordan River, and you follow it, you follow it, you follow it, keep driving. Get down south to another body of water called the Dead Sea. Apparently, true fact, you want to know why it's called the Dead Sea? Because it's dead? Who knew, right? Apparently, nothing lives in it except for some weird microbes. But the point is that it's dead. And that reminds me of the, about five, six years ago, going on a trip with Shannon with our friends, Ari and Kiersey Oxy. Some of you know them. And uh, we went, somebody thought it was a good idea to go to Palm Springs in June. Uh, and that was fun, but we visited the Salton Sea. Somebody thought that that was a good idea. It's very, very similar. It's just dead. It's toxic. It's just nobody wants to go swim. Like, you wouldn't go swimming in there. This is such a picture of two different ways to live, isn't it? The reason the Sea of Galilee is alive and that the Dead Sea is dead is that the Sea of Galilee apparently has an inlet and an outlet, while the Dead Sea only has an inlet and no outlet. And so it is with people. There are some people who are so filled with life, so filled with refreshment that they bring in and they take in. There's growth, there's vibrancy, but they also give out. They export it. And you contrast those people with people who are just stagnant. No growth, no life, just take, 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 and no outtake. The happy person, the psalm is saying, is the person who is productive and refreshing. Now, this tree is certainly going to be susceptible to seasons of life. You're going to have some hard times, sometimes where the fruit may not be as evident. It's not always blossoming. It may not always look green or wonderful, and yet this particular tree has been planted, thankfully, on the riverbank. And so its roots have access to this constant and unremitting stream of water that's there even when the heat or the cold seasons come, or the hard times. So what's the lesson? It is that it's a mistake for you and me, don't miss this, to search for happiness from your circumstances, from external things. We expect happiness to just come raining down on us someday, magically. But it's not where your circumstances are. It's where your roots are. And yet, even in that, ultimately, it's not you rooting yourself in God, but it's God, by His grace, allowing you and me to root ourselves in Him. That's a work of God's grace. It's not of religion or having the right set of circumstances fall into your lap. And another lesson here is that if you're a believer, there's just something, I think, and I know this personally, and many of you do too as well, there's just something about going through a difficult season, a drought, a cold season in life that just makes you or compels you to begin to put your roots down into God in a way that perhaps you didn't when the sun was shining and things were 
brighter. Many of you could probably testify to having had that same experience. You know it. You don't really know what it's like to rejoice in God until you go through difficulty and consequently lean on him all the more. And when you do that, you don't experience a lack of pain necessarily or the lack of grief, but it's replaced by an overwhelming sense of joy that he's the one holding you up because you're rooted in him. So the happy, fulfilled person we've seen is described by what he or she declines and in what he or she delights, and by what he or she depicts. And fourth, the happy person is described by how he or she differs. By how he or she differs. Verses four through six. Not so the wicked, it says. They're like chaff that the wind blows away. Therefore the wicked will not stand in the judgment, nor sinners in the assembly of the righteous. For the Lord watches over the way of the righteous, but the way of the wicked leads to destruction. So the first three verses, if you were going to outline this, the first three verses of Psalm 1 are describing one person. And the second three verses are really describing a different person. Or you could say verses four and five are describing a different person, and verse six is kind of a summary verse. So you've got two different people, though, and they're opposites of one another. They differ. And the wicked person who's described here, as opposed to a person who has a life of delightful dependence upon God that we've been talking about, the wicked is somebody who says, I don't want to lean on God. I want to be independent from him. One's a flourishing tree, and one, it says, is like chaff. What is chaff? It's the husk. It's the little skin that's around wheat. When you pluck the wheat, which is nourishing, the chaff is winnowed. You throw the wheat up in the air, and the chaff falls off. The wind takes it away. It's fleeting, chaff is. It's the opposite of fruitful. It's the opposite of permanence. It's at the mercy of the wind. So that's the contrast between these two realities. Don't miss the point. You have Two types of people according to this psalm, not 50 types of people. Two paths, two roads, not 50 different ones. So what that means in this room right now is that there are two types of people. Which one are you? Which one am I? The invitation that God offers to each one here today and in the days to come, as long as we have breath in life, is to find eternal, abundant life and happiness. And the only place where it can be found, not in your circumstances, but in him. Psalm 1 is teaching us that to be wise is to be in a trusting, dependent relationship with God. And as we continue to read the story of the Bible, we'll see that the figurative language of Psalm 1 here, that's very symbolic, begins to become reality as God's wisdom puts on a physical body. Jesus himself is the perfect embodiment of wisdom. All wisdom and understanding is hidden in him, Colossians 2 says. And just like John chapter 10 says, those who find Jesus find that abundant life, that full, satisfying life. But all of this is hard to see when life is hard and difficult. So to help us, Jesus gives us some very, his very self. Did you know Jesus is the only one who's ever lived who has perfectly fulfilled Psalm 1, the first three verses? Jesus' delight was in the law of the Lord. He did not walk and step with the wicked. He's the prototype of Psalm 1, Jesus is. So the challenge, therefore, is not for you and me to try to strain and try to find happiness in the abstract, but is to allow God to fill us and to enable us by his grace to become increasingly what Jesus is. So here's the secret of Psalm 1. If you want to be happy, we all want to be happy. If you want to be happy, know that real happiness is never found by just pursuing happiness. It is only and always a byproduct of seeking something more than happiness. 
That's why you'll never find anywhere in the Bible the phrase, happy is the person who seeks happiness. You'll never find blessed is the one who seeks blessedness. Instead, the message of Scripture is happy is the one who seeks after more than happiness. Happy is the one who has stopped trying so hard to be happy. Because if you seek happiness more than the kingdom of God and the righteousness of God, then you won't get either. But if you seek Jesus' righteousness and his kingdom first more than happiness, you get both. It's Matthew 6, 33. Seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. All these other things will be added to you. So the irony is that the less concerned you are about your own happiness and the more you are concerned about pleasing God, then the happier you will be. It's ironic. So as long as you or I decide to seek happiness as our highest priority, we won't find it. It's only ever found in placing your roots deep into the life that God offers through an abiding and nourishing daily fruitful relationship with him and through Jesus' perfect record of righteousness alone as our hope and as our salvation. Let's pray. God, we thank you for sending your son Jesus, the embodiment of knowledge and wisdom. Thank you for the reminder that knowledge is not nearly as valuable as wisdom and that wisdom is connected so deeply, Lord, to happiness. I pray, God, that we would today be reminded of your offer of a relationship, the offer to put our hope and trust in you and to be like the person in the first three verses here of Psalm 1. Lord, we do not desire ourselves or anyone else to be counted among the wicked, those who seek independence from you, those whose lives are like chaff, that may bear fruit for a little bit, but then in the end are destroyed. God, we don't desire that. I pray that we would put our roots deep into you and see, Lord, that you are good. This week, God, may we meditate on this message. May we meditate on your wisdom. May we remain in you as our vine, as we are the branches, that you, Lord, would produce fruit in us, fruit that lasts. For apart from you, we can do nothing. Lord, we pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Would you stand and sing with us?
Okay, thank you, uh, Pastor Steve and the worship team for that terrific service. I always appreciate that. Uh, just a few announcements. Uh, we're a little bit behind on giving for the year for our financial plan, so we always appreciate all the gifts uh, in terms of catching up for this year, and you can do that, of course, on bridges.info or the boxes that are on the wall at the back. Uh, if you have questions about the sermon, uh, bridges.info, again, is where you can submit those. And if you put an email address in, you will get an answer to your question. And every week, one of those questions is answered in a video. If you haven't seen those videos, I'd encourage you to watch one. The questions are always good. So obviously, we have a very intelligent congregation because they're interesting questions and the answers are always insightful. So I always like watching those. Uh, mark on your calendar, <clears throat> July 31st. That's our beach uh, worship service and baptism. Uh, the baptism, one of the highlights of that service. Uh, more details will follow, uh, but there will, will not be a service here in the sanctuary. There will be an online service posted if you can't make it to the beach. And then uh, lastly, we're going to pray for the Glenisters. So they are moving back to the UK, where they originally were from, and this is their last week here. So um, uh, just a prayer for them. They... Uh, uh, our longtime members, I think they were here a lot longer than they initially anticipated, uh, very active, and we appreciate all the contributions they made. So if you'll bow your head, we'd like to just send them off with a prayer. Lord, we thank you for Rob and Angie and the time they spent here at Bridges, the impact they had, uh, and now that they are starting a new chapter in life, we ask that you would guide them through those challenges of moving back. Um, and as they settle into a new church and community, just help them to work through all the details and challenges of that uh, and to make that time fruitful for them. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Okay, thank you. We will see you all next week.